next, stepping into your next. You know, we talk often about walking a journey, walking a journey. And I want to ask you, I'd love for you just to reflect for a moment, what journey have you walked this year in 2017? What has your journey looked like? Because we all walk our own path. We all walk our own journey with God. And along the way, we have milestones, we have ups and we have downs and we have seasons along our journey. We talk about these terms, the journeys and the seasons of life. What did your 2017 look like? You know, the Israelites are an amazing mirror example of who we are. The Israelites in the Old Testament, God's own people. And so I want us to have a look at the moment when they were perched on the border of their promise. Because I believe that right now at the end of 2017, we are at the end of one season about to head into our promise. We've walked a journey just like they walked a journey in the wilderness and we're perched on the edge of our promise. But you individually, you're on the edge. You're about to step into the next thing God has for you. Right now, you are on the edge of the next thing God has for you. How do you step into your next? You see, the Israelites were God's own people. There were millions of them and they had been in slavery for 400 years. Now, just consider what that is and what that means. Generations of slavery under the oppression of the Egyptian rule. Slave drivers, whips on their backs for 400 years, generation after generation after generation. God's people suffered under the oppression of the Egyptians. And he raised up a man named Moses. You may know the story. And Moses delivered them by a series of miraculous events where he and his brother um, um, Aaron confronted Pharaoh and, and all these different signs and wonders that God conducted that eventually convinced Pharaoh to let millions of people, his whole workforce, go. They're fairly convincing kind of miracles. And um, so eventually Pharaoh said, fine, get out, leave, go. And so they fled Egypt. They fled Egypt and they came out of Egypt and into the wilderness. And God had specifically told them what the promised land would be, where they would go, the land that he had destined for them. He told them exactly where it was. It was a place called Canaan. Now you have to understand how my mind works. And if you looked at my journals, which are strewn all over the house, probably one in every room, um, I think in pictures. And so when I read scripture, I actually don't understand it until I've drawn it. And so I'm going to take you through a series of journal drawings. Is that okay? Just as our introduction. So the first map I want to show you in my own scribbly handwriting, which you can't see very clearly. On the left there is Egypt, that way. You have the Mediterranean Sea. You have the Red Sea there, the Dead Sea and the Jordan River. Can you see the circle there in the middle that says Canaan? So they've come out of Egypt and that's Canaan. The distance between Egypt and Canaan was an 11-day journey. Except the Israelites, just like us, were very disobedient and foolish and unwise and rebellious. And so they ended up taking that dotted squiggly line and it was 40 years. So an 11-day journey took 40 years because of what God calls specifically disobedience. Because of their disobedience, 
they stayed in the wilderness for 40 years as if that wasn't bad enough. Not only did they stay in the wilderness for 40 years, but the whole generation that left Egypt died in the wilderness. So the ones who actually got to the Jordan River and sat on the edge of Canaan was a whole new generation who had never been in Egypt. Everyone except two, one, that came out of Egypt, they had all passed away because of their disobedience. So I want to zoom into my next map. Okay, so here's a close-up of now where they're perched. You've got the Jordan River, and you might see some familiar words. You've got Galilee up there, Nazareth, Samaria, Jerusalem, Bethlehem, where we just celebrated the birth of Jesus. Um, You've got Joppa, Egypt back that way, Sinai that way. And you've got the Jordan River with the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea. Now, what we're seeing here in the passages of Scripture, I want to read to you out of Joshua 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6, is there on the, the... the right-hand side, the east side of the Jordan River, they have to cross the river because immediately on the other side of the river is their promise. It's right there. They can see it. They've waited not just 40 years. They've waited 440 years for this. They've heard about it from their grandparents and great-grandparents. It's been passed down and somehow in their slave thinking, they've conceptualized this promised land in Cajun. Um, Canaan. And so they're on this side of the Jordan River. They have to get through the river somehow and get to Canaan. And my last map, one further close up, we're right on the river. And these are my points. We need to believe for more, prioritize the present, set up memorial, close the chapter and take hold. And I want to take you on the journey because every step you take, God requires something of you. Every step you take is significant if you're going to step into your next. Okay, so here we go. Are you ready? Do you, did you appreciate those scratchy drawings? Even if you didn't, I did, and I now make sense to me, and I can deliver this word to you. All right, here we go. Number one, believe for more. In Joshua 1 and 2, they're perched on the wrong side of the Jordan. They've finally come to this place, and they've got another obstacle the Jordan River. They didn't have boats. (laughs) They didn't have any way of getting through this rushing river. And the scripture tells us it it was flooding and swelling. The Jordan was a raging, swollen river. And they pull up and they go, great, here's another obstacle. So Canaan's right there. Jericho's right there. And we're on the wrong side of the river. My first point is you've got to believe for more. Because if we can go back to the second map, If you look at this, you've got the east side of the river and the west side of the river. You'll notice where all the towns are. Where are they? They're on the west. That's because the east side was more arid, wild and infertile. The west side was fertile and lush and it was the land of promise. And so on the east side is, you know, people lived there. There were towns there, but they were poor They were neglected. They were less fortunate, weaker tribes of people. The ones on the east were the ones living in promise, the ones living in prosperity and fertility. And so we have to believe for more because this is the thing. For you and I, for you and I, we can live on the west. We can live on the east. And many people settle on the east, so to speak, because it is possible to make a life there. 
it is possible to get by in the wilderness. It is possible to scrape and, and make ends meet and struggle and get through life. But that's not what God has for you. God wants you in the land of promise and fertility and abundance and prosperity. That's where God wants you. And that's where the healthy, strong live in that land. But do you know what? Often there's a great big flippin' Jordan River right between you and where you want to be. That Jordan River is another obstacle and the Jordan River represents death to self. The Jordan River is where um, Jesus got baptised. The Jordan River and baptism represents dying to self and coming up in the presence of God, in the plan of God, living your life for God. You have to cross a Jordan to get to your promise. That means dying to self. If you're going to believe for more, it means you have to come up to a place where you deny every preconceived idea and you go through no matter what. You have to believe that you're worthy of what's on the West. Otherwise, you'll stay on the East. And poor thinking will keep you out of the promise of God for your life. Insecurity and inferiority and a poor self-esteem will keep you out of... God's promise. Poor thinking will keep you scraping and saving and making ends meet. Poor thinking will keep you in lack and you can very well live your whole life there and get by, except it's not what God has for you. God wants you on the West. God wants you to cross over. And facing an obstacle makes it just that little bit more convincing to stay on the wrong side, doesn't it? Well, you know, I can, I can set up a pretty decent life here because that obstacle is impossible and I can make things work here. I know that the other side looks awesome, but it's okay. It's okay, I'll just settle here. I'll settle here. And many people look at their obstacle and they live in their own strength instead of the power and promise of God facing the hard thing that they need to get through in order to get there. Poor thinking and obstacles can justify your location and you settle for mediocrity. Reminds me of this beautiful young woman in our church and I have permission to share a little bit of her story. I sat with her just the other day and and she comes from um, an unfortunate background. Her mother was an alcoholic and her dad was a gambler. She came to church here with us. She met you. She was embraced by you, loved by you. She's in life group. She serves on team. And she started to hear things that she'd never heard before. And just a few weeks ago in October, we did the relationship series and and she heard Sam preach a message on family and the deepest craving of her heart is to have a functional family. And she heard Sam speak about family in such a compelling way. And she said that something clicked after sitting in church and being on team for two years. Something that night clicked. And she realized that she was denying herself the possibility of having a functional family because she never thought that she could. And so she'd lived her whole life living in a way that was beneath what God had for her life. That night, (laughs) that night she went home and packed all her things in her car and was willing to live in her car because she decided to make a change. She went home, changed her, her relationships, her living circumstances and made so many changes that night after a 5 p.m. service. 
And she said, no one understands. My family don't understand. My friends don't understand. But I'm so proud of my decision. And I can't believe what God's doing in my life. In those last few weeks, what has happened since she made those decisions, she realized what she was worth. She realized what was on the West. She realized that the Jordan was swollen and it was going to take a bit of hard work, but it was worth getting through because she was going to make it to the West because that's where her promise is. I want to encourage you to believe for more. Don't settle on the East. Even if there's a giant Jordan in between you and your promise, just decide you're worth it. God has plans for you and start making a move. Believe for more. Number two. Prioritize the presence of God. In in Joshua chapter 3, so we've seen them, they're sitting there, God's saying, well, it's over there on the other side of the Jordan. And in chapter 3, Joshua instructs the priests to carry the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Testimony, through the Jordan River. This is awesome. We can read this and go, wow, yeah, that's nice. They walked into a swollen, flooding river. It was a big deal. So he instructs the priests to carry the ark, which represents the presence of God, into their obstacle, into the very thing that was the barrier between them and their promise. You see, you and I all have things that are standing between us and our promise. And God tells Joshua to tell the people, carry my presence headstrong into that thing. Don't flinch, don't waver, carry my presence straight into that challenge, straight into that obstacle. And I want to read this to you in Joshua 3, verse 3, giving orders to the people. He said, when you see the ark, the people, okay, imagine millions of people. We're not just talking about a group of 30, we're talking about millions of people, all right? When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, when the, and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go since you have never been this way before. How awesome is that? You don't even know where to go but follow the presence. Follow the presence. Keep a distance about 2,000 cubits, verse 5. Consecrate yourselves, set yourselves apart, cleanse yourselves, be mindful of what you're doing. Don't be diluted, don't be murky, don't be compromised. Consecrate yourselves, be mindful of what you're doing for tomorrow. Tomorrow, the first of the day of the year. For tomorrow, the Lord will do amazing things among you. Verse 15, yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It was piled up in a heap a great distance away. So the people crossed over to Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all Israel passed until the whole nation, millions of people, had completed crossing on dry ground. If you're going to make it into your next, you need to prioritize the presence of God. You need to prioritize the presence of God. That ark was a big wooden box that had to be carried by several strong men. It was a big wooden box covered in gold. Inside it were three things. The two stone tablets with the Ten Commandments, which represent the Word of God. 
you need to carry the Word of God. The, the box contained Aaron's rod, his staff, which was used to perform the miraculous right through Egypt and the wilderness. That rod represents the miraculous power of God. You need to believe and carry the miraculous power of God. And the third thing that it contained was a pot of manna. Manna was the bread that God supernaturally gave them every single day to eat for 40 years. Like, I don't know if you've ever considered that. I have to make food several times a day for my family. I can't imagine just walking out and there being a spread for me every single time. So this is what God did. He's like, oh, you're hungry and you're in the wilderness. Here you go. Let me feed you every single day so you don't have to do anything. It's there for you. So they gathered a pot of manna, this bread, and in, in this pot and put it in the Ark of the Covenant. And so what does that represent? The supernatural provision of God. Okay, is there anything else you need in life? Other than the Word of God, His miraculous power and His supernatural provision. Is there anything else you need in life than the Word of God, His miraculous power and His supernatural provision? I beg to argue there is nothing else you need in this life than those three things. And God says, you know what, you're facing an obstacle. Well, Joshua, tell the priest to carry my presence straight into that obstacle, straight into that challenge and watch what I do. Because no matter what your Jordan is, in the presence of God, it cannot stand up against the plan of God for your life. The moment that the priest's feet touched the water, the water piled up. And I want to say to you out of my own life, that when you prioritize the presence of God, supernatural, unbelievable, gracious, unfair, un, like beyond merit, the things that God will do in your life when you carry His presence. The beautiful thing is now that we don't need to carry a big wooden box. <laughs> Scripture tells us you and I are temples of the Holy Spirit. I want to ask you, are you aware that you carry the presence of God? Are you aware that everywhere you go, every conversation you have, you carry his very presence? So next time you feel overwhelmed by your challenge, are you aware of what you're carrying? Next time you think about the promise of God, are you aware of what you're carrying? And are you carrying that boldly into every single day, knowing that waters are being piled up on either side of you so that you can walk straight through on dry ground? I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you that without him, you drown. With him, you walk through unharmed. There's an amazing woman who I was talking with a few weeks ago who I've known for many, many years. Her children came up through our youth ministry. And she came up and she spoke to me after I'd just finished preaching several services. And she said, Carolina, I didn't tell anyone, but for the last two years I've been going through cancer treatment. I have to tell you, she looked amazing. She looked the same as the last time I saw her before her treatment. And she, she said, I've just finished treatment. I didn't tell anyone about what I was going through. It was my own journey with God. She said that it was a very rare form of cancer in her throat and in her airways. And so she had to go through all her therapy. 
And she wrestled with whether or not to go through her therapy. And God gave her the scripture in Mark 16 that says, they will pick up snakes with their hands and drink deadly poison. It will not harm them at all. And they will place their hands on sick people and get well. And he spoke to her about a double two-part promise that you'll drink that poison, that chemotherapy, it will not harm you. And at the end, you'll have a healing ministry. She told me this, I was like, whoa, I've never, I don't know, maybe you have, I've never heard that revelation before. And so she said she took that with her into her treatment. And every time she had her chemo, she's like, this will not harm me. This will not harm me. I will drink poison and it will not harm me. And at the end of this, the devil's going to be sorry he even got started with me because I'm going to have a healing ministry at the end of it. She said that, so just the week before she spoke to me, she went into her specialist for her final appointment and got the all clear. His words to her were this, I have never seen anyone healed of this rare condition. Is there anything more you need than the Word of God, His miraculous power, and His supernatural provision? There is nothing more you need. Without Him, you drown. With Him, you walk through on dry ground. We are carriers of His presence, and we need to prioritize the presence of God. Follow the presence of God. Let it lead us. Let it go before us. We don't run ahead. We prioritize the presence. We follow the presence. We carry the presence. Number three, set up memorials. And you know, when I was writing this message, this was going to be my whole message and now it's just one point out of 600. But here we go. Number three, set up memorials in Joshua 4. So they've made it through. And on the way through, God speaks to Joshua and he says, you know, those, those 12 men who you appointed head of the 12 tribes, make sure when they go through the Jordan, they pick up a large stone because on the other side of the Jordan, I want you to set up a memorial with a pile of those 12 stones. And so it says in Joshua chapter 4, verse 5, he said to them, go over before the ark of the Lord um, into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of Israel, so 12, to serve as a sign among you in the future. When your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. Verse 24 He did this so all the people in the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. I want to encourage us, church, to set up memorials. Set up memorials for yourself and for your children. You know, you have to be deliberate about what you choose to remember. Many of us choose to remember the wrong things, the hurt, the dysfunction, the pain. God wants you to choose to set up memorials to his goodness and his provision and his miracles. That's what we choose to meditate on and that's what we recite to our children. We set up memorials for ourselves and for our children. If you're a parent here today, you need to know that your children are not going to learn about God by osmosis. You have to teach them. You have to sit down with them daily 
and teach them the goodness of God. It needs to be commonplace language around the dinner table at home. You need to know they're not just going to absorb this somehow, somewhere. They need to be taught. They need to see your memorials. I have a whole bunch of different things and by no means am I a perfect parent. But I have so many different ways that I create these memorial moments for my children. I recently set up four email accounts and every time they do something amazing or we have a moment, I email that account. And when they turn 18, I'm going to give them the logins for those accounts. I often sit with my children and pray in the Holy Spirit and ask them, what's the Holy Spirit saying to you? He always speaks. It's amazing. He always speaks to them. Always they hear something. I remember one time asking one of um, the women in ministry who I look up to, how do you prevent your child from becoming familiar with the presence of God when they're in it several times a week? She said they have to experience it for themselves. And when she said that was when I started these memorial moments of look at this stone, the presence of God is here, the presence of God is real. They've, the, my children have laid hands on people and seen back injuries recover, see eye injuries recover because they know, because we've set up memorials. It's not something I'm hoping one day they'll pick up somewhere on the way. It's something that we are deliberately building into their lives. Every birthday, we have a warm and fuzzy moment where everyone goes around the table and, and tells of the good things about that one person. We do sorts of things like this all the time. We talk to them about miracles. We encourage them to experience their own miracles. Miracles are memorials. They are stones, and you need those stones for yourself as well. Just recently, I went to um, Poland um, in October to spend time with my grandmother before she passed away. And it was an amazing time. It was an amazing time where I went back to where my dad grew up in Poland. And I'd never been there before. And I don't know, many of you may be like me, where, where they've come out of uh, the war. So First and Second World War, and, and Second World War was horrible in Poland with the Nazi regime and everything that took place. And all of my family were devastated in the war. So no one talked about it. No one has ever talked about my family, my story. And at the age of 35, I went back to where my dad grew up and I followed him through his childhood. I followed him past the house he grew up in, the forests he used to walk through as a child, the schools that my grandfather built, um, the church that dad was an altar boy in. Um, and, you know, some of the memories were really, really dysfunctional and painful. Some of the memories were really amazing. And for the first time in my life, I felt like I had a story. At the age of 35, the good, the bad, and the ugly made me feel strength, made me feel like I belonged somewhere in the world. Up until that point, I didn't really have a story. My story started when my immigrant parents fled communism to live here so that I could have a future. I didn't have a story before that until October this year because someone showed me memorial stones. Someone told me a story. And if you're going to make it into your next, you know, there's a, there's a very, very popular statement that says, those who don't remember the past are doomed to repeat the worst of it. We need to set up 
memorial stones. We need to tell stories. And in a nation like ours, we need to tell stories. We need to tell about the goodness of God, about the rich heritage we're a part of, so that our generations can be strong. So they don't have to repeat the same, the same things that every prior generation told. I encourage you, create a family table. Make time to talk about these things. Tell stories and tell of the goodness of God. I want to encourage you today, what memorial stones can you set up? This afternoon, can you journal about the goodness of God? Can you spend some time in His presence? What has He done? And how can you make a generational record of what He's done? Number four, you have to close the chapter. So here's the trick. While you honour the past, you also have to kill any dysfunction that came with it. We remember the past, we choose to remember the goodness of God, but we deal with the poor thinking, the sin. We deal with the generational patterns that are keeping us out of our promise. We have to deal with those things. So we see them perched on this side of the Jordan. They cross over by prioritizing the presence of God. They set up memorials at a place called Gilgal, which was just outside Jericho. And at Gilgal as well, God instructed Joshua to circumcise every male in the camp. This is really significant. This is very, very significant because circumcision was a symbol between God and his people. It was a covenant between God and his people. And when they all left Egypt, the ones who left Egypt didn't circumcise their children in the wilderness. So now we have a whole generation of children and men who hadn't been circumcised, hadn't stepped into covenant living with God. And so God tells them, before you take Jericho, you need to remember that you're my people. You need to do this thing. You know, in order to close a chapter, in order to finish well, you have to deal with wrong thinking, generational patterns that hold you back and that keep you small. God commanded Joshua in Joshua chapter 5, verse 4. Now, this is why he did so. All those who came out of Egypt, all the men of military age, died in the wilderness on the way after leaving Egypt. All the people that had come out had, that had been circumcised, but the people who were born in the wilderness during the journey had not. Verse 9, the Lord said to, Je- to Joshua, Today that you've done this, I've rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. I've rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Reproach means shame. Reproach means shame. They were slaves. They had slave mentalities and many of us come out of slavery, but we carry our slave thinking with us. God delivers us and we come rushing out of that place, but we carry a lot of that with us. You may ask, well, how did they have the reproach of Egypt on them if they never lived in Egypt? Well, the truth is, sometimes the things that are on our parents get passed down to us. We don't even have to live in that place to act like that place because it gets passed down generationally. And what your parents should have dealt with for you, they didn't. And you come to a place as an adult where you have to deal with it and it's far more painful than it should have been. And if you're a parent today, you need to know 
that if you don't deal, it may just keep you in the wilderness and your, your children may get themselves out of the wilderness, but it's going to cost them a really heavy price that they should not have to pay. Would you please deal with your dysfunction for your own sake and for the sake of the children coming up after you? What is it that's holding you back, that's keeping you small? What is that thing? You may have to do it later in life. It may not be fair, but it's required because you cannot live like a king in the promise and think like a slave. You cannot live like a king while you think as a slave. You have to change your identity. And that's what he did at Gilgal. He said, I rolled away the reproach of Egypt so that your identity has changed from a slave to a son. You are no longer a slave of Egypt, of the world. You are a son of the kingdom of God. You are my son. You are my daughter. You need to stop thinking and acting and carrying on like a slave. Deal with it here because you cannot take this into Canaan. You cannot take this into Canaan. And you know, in that moment, when that happened, you know what? The manna stopped. The manna stopped then. Because it's only when you stop thinking like a slave that you can take on the responsibility of a king. A slave just wants a hand out all the time. Help me out. Help me out. Help me out. God, help me out. Help me out. A king says, God, I'm your son. I know who I am. I know how to maintain a kingdom. I know how to live like a king. I know how to speak like a king. I know how to walk like a king, talk like a king. I know who I am. I don't need a handout anymore, God, because I know who I am in you. I want to encourage you today to, to deal with those mindsets, addiction, when God has self-control for you, fear when God has love for you, Insecurity when God has confidence and peace for you. Manipulation when God has kindness. Bitterness when God has trust. Offense when God has forgiveness. Inferiority when God has joy. Before you can go into the promise, you have to close the chapter of your slave past. And finally, while you bow your heads and close your eyes, you've got to take hold of the promise. They dealt with it all. They dealt with it so amazingly. Finally, Joshua took them into their promise and they're here at Jericho. And you need to come back tonight because Sam's going to preach this last point. I'm not even going to tell you how to take the promise. You need to come back tonight to hear about actually taking your Jericho, that moment where you step in, where you step in. This morning, every head is bowed and every eye is closed. I want to pray for two types of people. The first is for people who who have not been walking with Jesus as the Lord and Savior of their lives. And I want to offer you an invitation because everyone is welcome to join this family. God stretches out his hand of invitation to every single person. His very heart's desire and purpose in sending his son was so that you would come back into a relationship with him. You know, I made this decision many years ago and it was the greatest decision of my life. And since then, I've walked supernaturally through so many Jordans, so many Jordans. Since then, I've been able to set up memorial stones for my children and make a new path for my children into the promise on the West. And I want to invite you 
to be a part of this. And if that's you and in your heart, you want to receive Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life, I'm going to count to three. No one's looking around on the count of three. I'd love for you just to raise your hands so that I know who to pray with. I'm not going to embarrass you or call you out. It's just a sign between you and God that you want to make Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life. You want to follow His presence into His promise for your life. So I'm just going to count to three and I'd love for you to raise your hand. Maybe you've been away from God and you want to come back. Maybe you've never known Him before and today you want to, on the 31st of December, draw a spiritual line in the sand and say, that's it, I'm making this decision. On the count of three, one, God loves you and He's reaching out to you. Two, He's not mad at you. He loves you. His hand is outstretched towards you. Three, if that's you, would you raise your hand in this room today? Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. Awesome. Father God, I thank you this morning, Lord, that your spirit meets us right where we're at right where we're at, and you love us so much to move us into our destiny, into the fullness of what you have for us. Father, for those ones who responded, Lord, Lord, we know it's not just about a hand in the air. It is the repentant heart that makes a revelation and a change. And so today I thank you that those ones who have responded have been adopted into your family. They've been washed clean by the blood of Jesus. Father, they are your children. Lord God, and I thank you for the path that's ahead of them. Father, that you are a good and faithful God. I pray for a hedge of protection around them. Lord God, I thank you that they've been forgiven and set free and your mercy and grace will come in like a flood today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give them a round of applause. Well done. Amen, amen. That's awesome. And we want to...